0: Hi there, it's Matt here, and welcome back to the podcast. As some of you may know, I have previously done a short mini-series on sleep and exercise, but what I really want you to learn about is perhaps some of the highest level of that discussion, which is to say the topic of sleep in athletes and professionals. The reason is that there are some fascinating and helpful insights that become directly applicable to you and your own physical activity goals. I also wanted you to hear it from someone who is on the cutting edge of that sleep and athlete research front. And here I would like to welcome back my dear friend who has been on this show before speaking about insomnia, and he is incredible. He's simply a brilliant sleep researcher and clinician, and that is Dr. Michael Grandner, who is a renowned professor at the University of Arizona. He has also done some of the most pioneering research in this field, and he's published countless studies and findings on this topic. If you would like to follow him, in fact, if you would like to follow a far better Twitter account regarding <laughs> sleep than mine, go and follow him. His handle is at Michael Grandner, so that is at Michael, the name, and then his last name, his surname, which is Grandner, spelt G-R-A-N-D-N-E-R. Michael, welcome back to the podcast.
1: Oh, thanks for having me. And thanks for talking about this really interesting topic.
0: It is so fascinating. I have been reading about your work and thinking about this topic area for two reasons. Firstly, selfish, because I'm someone who (laughs) does adore physical activity and pretend sometimes to be at a level of physical activity that is truly not my own. Uh, (laughs) Hashtag charlatan. And then the second reason is because, like you, I've worked with professional sports teams and individual athletes to think a lot about sleep. And it has become far more prevalent on their radars, plural, in no short measure because of the work that you've done. So I was going to just jump right in and (laughs) no exercise pun intended. (laughs) I may have flippantly suggested in the past that sleep could be one of the greatest legal performance enhancing drugs that some people and athletes are perhaps not abusing enough of. So setting aside my glib idiocy for a second, just taking a step back from the 30,000 foot high level perspective view, before we double click, can you explain a little bit about why sleep is so critical for athletic performance. So if you had just sort of, let's say, one minute in front of the entire NBA or the entire Premiership Football League, what should they really understand as an impact statement here? Useful, not useful, good to invest in, not so good.
1: Yeah, I think, first of all, as flippant as that comment was, I think it's not quite inaccurate. I think when you compare sleep and the benefits of sleep to... Other things that are known to enhance performance and are are discouraged and harmful, you might get more benefits from sleep than from some of those other things without the negative effects. So, So I actually don't disagree with that at all. But if I had one minute, what I would say is sleep is a biological requirement for human life. It is foundational to our physiology. And when you're talking about athletes and athletic performance The areas that sleep seems to have the biggest impact on are things like physical performance, mental performance, recovery and inflammation and healing, and mental health. Those are four areas that are critically important for athletic success, not just physical performance, but all of these. And any athlete and athletics organization knows that these are areas that are critically important for athletic success and for sport and for winning. And sleep has its hands in all of them and has it to a degree that might actually be greater than other things you're investing in more so.
0: I'd love that for two reasons. First, because I've also heard you say this, and I, I've since stolen the phrase, here in particular, sleep, we often think of as a cost in our lives. But in general, but also here, perhaps in particular, sleep should be seen as one of the very best investments that any athlete or team can promote. The second thing that you noted, which I hadn't thought about discussing in this podcast, but I'd love to later on is the notion of mental health, because there have been several people in the tennis community. There's also been people like Michael Phelps in the swimming community who've really come online describing their mental health battles. and so. I'd like to speak a little bit about that later on, too. And I'm just simply sticking a pin in it for people just to remember that that is so critical. Then, digging down a little bit, when you're speaking with athletes, I would love to know, selfishly for my own purposes, how, but also what do you describe in terms of trying to emphasize the impact of sleep on physical performance? Is it those four bastions that you've described before?
1: So, one of the things I've learned from doing community based research, and and, you know, I wear lots of different hats and I can't keep myself in one lane. But one of the things I learned from doing research in communities and especially underserved communities is when you're going into a place that might be on board, might not be on board with what you're trying to do, if you go in trying to sell them on your thing, and you tout its benefits and you tout its features and you try and make a case, you often fail. And the reason why is you forgot a very critical step in the process. And that is do people actually care about the things that you're selling them and uh, on the features and benefits? Are those the things that you just guess that they care about? And it's not just that they care about, will they change behavior based on those or not? What I would actually say to do first before talking is to listen. And I ask people before I say anything, what I like to do is ask people, what do you care about? What are your pain points? What are the things you're struggling with the most that if I happen to have a way to make those better, you would be grateful? Like, where can I be helpful? And forget what I think sleep does. Forget what the things that I think sleep is most important for. What are the things you care about? And let me try and find a way to link those goals and those values with what I can help with. That's where I would start because I'll never forget going into, I know we're deviating a little bit from athletes, but going into communities and asking, so if I told you if I could get you sleeping better, it would lower your blood pressure. Would you believe me? Generally people say yes. And then I say, well, does that make you want to change your sleep in any way? And actually the answer is no. And when you ask why, they say, well, if I really wanted to lower my blood pressure, I'd be eating better and exercising more, and I'm not doing those things. Sleep isn't going to be the thing to change it either. But if I say things like, you know, your ability to be long-term financially successful, your ability to perform during the day, your ability to lose weight and, and things like that, oh, okay, now you've got my attention because I would actually change for that. And that's the thing with the athletes is you got to figure out what are the things that they're dealing with? And athletes, it's one word that means lots of different kinds of groups. I mean, football, basketball, baseball, tennis, fencing, track, golf, soccer. These are all very different groups with very different needs and very different challenges. And I think the great thing about sleep, the amazing thing about sleep is that it's it's so fundamental that whatever challenges that they have There's often a way that at least some of those can be tied to helping with sleep.
0: It's genius. I wish I'd had this conversation with you about (laughs) 10 years ago, because I remember the first time I was asked by a professional team to go and speak with the organization. The first thing I didn't do, which I do now, and it mirrors what you were saying, is I first interview the coach or the coaches, plural and I find what those pain points are. And then I architect both a presentation and an interaction that go after those individual points. And the first talk I made, it's one of the most embarrassing academic moments of my life. (laughs) And trust me, if I'm saying that I've had so many, I went there and gave a talk that you would normally give at a scientific conference and tumbleweeds were rolling across the auditorium. (laughs) I think most people almost lost the will to live at that point, it was shocking. I learned my lesson. A sponsor of today's show is Inside Tracker, which is a service that comes out to your home and they will analyze your blood and your DNA to know precisely what is going on inside of you. Hence the name, Inside Tracker. They look at your blood, your metabolic signals, your hormonal health metrics, And then they give you a personalized, actionable set of lifestyle changes in response to that readout. And the goal there is to improve your health. I was looking and informed they have some new cardiovascular and new hormonal biomarkers that I'm particularly interested in. One that I'm focused on is something called apoB which is an absolutely critical heart health measure. And I get it done now with them somewhere between four to six times a year. Why? Well, my family unfortunately has a strong history of cardiovascular disease. So I am checking that pretty ruthlessly. And by the way, I do buy the product myself out of pocket. I don't want to fall prey to any of those trappings and undue incentives. Although with full admission, I still use my own discount code that you can use to get some money off. And that code for you is insidetracker.com forward slash Matt Walker. So just go over to insidetracker.com forward slash Matt Walker. And again, if you want to get that discount, it is insidetracker.com forward slash Matt Walker. Thanks very much. I think one of the things that I've found that are common themes, I end up telling people about performance metrics rather than fancy MRI pictures with blue blobs and orange blobs, and which is my type of stuff. I'll speak about the studies that show that insufficient sleep will reduce muscle strength. It will reduce peak muscle output. It reduces aerobic thresholds. You're quicker to go through physical exhaustion. Your ability to perspire and sweat is worse. Your ability to expire carbon dioxide and inhale oxygen is reduced. And I speak about some of the hormonal effects, particularly the gents in the room get thoughtful when you mention how big the magnitude of a testosterone impact there is by way of a lack of sleep. And it sounds as though you approach things in perhaps somewhat similar ways. But are there other things that I'm missing apart from that very, even the quite myopic physiological focus that you found when you speak to athletes, they respond to very well and that people listening may respond to very well?
1: So, an interesting story. One of the first times I was ever asked to speak with an athletics organization, they called me and they said, Look, sleep is highly requested from our people, they want to hear more about it. And so, We brought in somebody last year, and I know for a fact it wasn't you, so don't worry about it. There was also someone else who's great, but um, they came, they gave a presentation, and they said the presentation was really factually interesting, but completely unhelpful. They said, look, in in athletics, we're dealing with day-to-day, moment-to-moment, we have a competition tomorrow, what do we do kind of issues. And they're like, we need somebody who can be flexible. And that's the one thing, I've learned in working with athletics groups and and so many of them over the past few years is that they're all very different. They have different challenges and I find myself as a sleep person when we're in the lab, we have to be really great classical musicians with the sleep science where we have to play it the same way every time. We need to play all the notes on the page correctly and all of these things. But in this operational situation, we have to switch to jazz. We can't play the notes on the page. We have to know where we can deviate, where the rules are fixed, where they can be broken, where they can be bent. And if I've learned anything from working with athletics, it's it's how to figure out how to be flexible without being incorrect. So, like for example, you know, if they they say, "Well, I need to do this here at this time." And if the rule says, well, you can't do that and it's not going to work, my solution wouldn't be, well, go and do that and hope it's okay, or do this other thing that isn't going to work also. It's, all right, let me explain to you what you're doing, help empower you with the knowledge of what's going on, and then develop some countermeasures where if you know you're going to be in a situation where there's going to be an issue, how can you be prepared for it and have other things that can counteract it, for example? Or, like with regularity, we talk about keeping a regular schedule. Athletes can't usually keep a regular schedule, especially collegiate athletes who are waking up two or three days a week at five in the morning to go train or whatever. And so it's like, okay, well, if you can't keep a regular schedule, how do we build regularity in other ways?
0: Are these three things that I want to come back to? First, it's so hard, and people may not know this, as a scientist to give yourself permission to start playing jazz when you become a public advocate for sleep. And I don't think I've done the very best job. I think I'm better now than I was before in terms of my jazz and keeping that rigor. And I just think when I'm seeing young students come up and let's say some of my students, we publish a paper and then there's a press release and then there's interviews and I'll always try to have them do the interview or at least be with them during the interview. So they start to develop this alacrity and this facile ability to interact with the general public and communicate science in a way that's digestible rather than full of word salad acronyms. But it's a very difficult thing to accomplish. Also, because what you have to do, and you do this very well, as a scientist, you have to then disabuse yourself of your own knowledge to return to the naive state and then say, how would this be understandable? When I don't know all that I do know. And it, it's fiendishly difficult. So I love that. And by the way, we will come back for those folks listening to the notion of strategic planning when it comes to athletes, both what they should be doing and what they can do and should not be doing under certain difficult conditions like travel. We will come on to that. But I think the other thing I wanted to bring up we've been discussing so far how we think about sleep going into the event for the athlete and for people listening for what you should be celebrating in terms of this night as to what it will give you tomorrow in terms of your performance. But after your event or after your training session is done, it's not just sleep before your athletic performance, it's also sleep after. And that really comes to another point that typically quote unquote, sells well with teams that I found, which is the notion of post-performance sleep for recovery and injury prevention. Here, I've typically thought about how a lack of sleep, if you choose to go down that route, can impair growth hormone, which is critical for muscle recovery, how it can increase levels of cortisol, which can slow the repair of muscle recovery, a lack of sleep we know inhibits something called protein synthesis, which we understand to be critical for the rebuilding of muscle fibers like actin and myosin.
1: And protein folding.
0: And protein folding too, which is an absolute key component, both for brain and for body, it turns out. And then for men and women, and I think sometimes the women, we don't do a good job at speaking about this, but the importance of testosterone for both of those groups for maintaining muscle mass, I mean, it's it's a naturally occurring anabolic steroid and then these interesting aspects of inflammation that you spoke about, people diving into ice baths to try to reduce inflammation, doing all of these contorted gymnastics (laughs) to do it, and we forget about sleep. What other things do you think about, or how do you think about post-performance sleep in terms of its recovery benefits?
1: There was a professional team I worked with once where they were such a pleasure to work with because when I got there, one of their mantras was, sleep is our number one recovery protocol. That was the phrase. Sleep is our number one recovery protocol. Everyone say it. Sleep is our number one recovery protocol. That was before I got there. They were on board with this. And actually, I was mostly helping them remove the barriers where there were there were guys who were like, no, 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 I'm trying, but I can't for these reasons or with undiagnosed sleep disorders or something. But I think having sleep as the key aspect of recovery is correct. That's one of the functions of sleep. It's one of the reasons it probably exists. When you talk about training, I mean, you talk about training, you talk about performance. When you're in the training room and in your weight room, you're not building muscle in the weight room. You're stressing your body out. You're putting it through things so that it can grow back bigger and stronger than it was before. When do you think that that's happening? That's not happening right after your workout. That's mostly happening during sleep. Sleep is about consolidating those experiences in the day and integrating them into who you are. Whether that's through memory, and actually, this is something I learned from you. It was a trainee day talk where I learned all about this when you that you gave one of the back in the day about LTP and sleep. But then there's also all the great work showing that the immune system does the same thing during slow wave sleep in terms of learning and integrating information. And I think if people understood the degree to which sleep plays so many critical roles about integrating those daytime experiences and preparing you for the next day, they wouldn't be sacrificing sleep for more time doing other things that aren't as helpful. I do sometimes
0: think it's ironic. And as you mentioned, we've done a few studies, but there's lots of other people who've done far better studies showing, for example, that when it comes to motor skill learning, the type of things that athletes use, It's not just practice that makes perfect, but it's practice with a night of sleep that leads to performance perfection. And then you have that classic Olympic coach who has the athletes training until eight or nine in the evening and then demands them back at the training facility at 5 a.m. And they have to wake up at 4 a.m. to get there. And
1: while you're resting, I'm training while you're relaxing. I'm working like that's just such an outdated. Sorry to interrupt, but like, oh, that drives me nuts when I hear that. It is interesting
0: to try to get through that. And I understand where it comes from, which is there is this stoic attitude that to become the very best, you end up having to sacrifice everything. And part of that self-flagellation to demonstrate your commitment to your sport involves being there at 5am in the morning and not getting home until 10 you eat you try to get what you need to do you have some form of a life if any and then you're to bed and you're surviving on six hours or less and this is the price that you pay are you committed then this is what you do and we just have to try to abandon that notion hard as it may be and i understand where it comes from This podcast is supported by Athletic Greens, which is now known as AG1. AG1 is a comprehensive nutritional drink that contains countless key health components. Actually, let me stop there. I say countless, but I actually know the company. I know how the product is made. And I believe at last count, it's over 75 different vitamins, minerals, probiotics, prebiotics, and other whole food nutrient sources. I do drink AG1 every day for the record. And also for the record, I buy my own supply because of all of the obvious integrity trappings that come with the free product. I know the company well, I know how the product is made, and I genuinely trust in their manufacturing. They are registered and approved by the Therapeutic Goods Administration. They also have GMP stamps, which means Good Manufacturing Practice Badges. Basically, they're rigorous. So if you'd like to pick up an offer and get some money off your first order, and also get some free travel packs, just go to the link drinkag1.com forward slash Matt So that's drinkag1.com forward slash Matt And you will get some money off your purchase. So again, Last time, that is drinkag1.com forward slash Matt Walker. In truth, I do also use uh, my own link to try and get some money off. Uh, I do buy it myself, but I do use the link to get that code money off too. And you can use that link as well. Thanks very much. Something else that you mentioned early on that I now want to come back to We've spoken so far a lot about sleep and the body, both pre sleep for body conditioning and getting you ready, post sleep for recovery. But the thing that I've perhaps learned a great deal about too from your papers and other work in this area is that sleep is not just about athletic bodies, it's also about athletic brains. And I think many of the trainers and teams and athletes that I work with think about performance perfection purely at the level of the body, but we know that the brain is utterly essential. Could you say a little bit about how maybe you discuss or think about the role of sleep in an athlete's ability? We've already discussed learning motor skills, but things like response time and reaction times, accuracy, but also higher level components such as optimal decision-making, Which shot should I play in a tennis match? Or which pass should I make in a basketball game? Or even more importantly, perhaps, which pass should I inhibit and not make? So how should teams and athletes and physically active people think about that component of sleep and the brain in physical activity and athletic performance?
1: I think that's an excellent question. And, And you bring up the fact that it's actually a few different things. And the phrase that I've used that seems to resonate is the concept of mental performance as parallel to physical performance, where it's not just mood and stress. It's about, as you were saying, it's the decision-making, the coordination. One of the things I like to do is I like to point out a few illustrative studies and some of my favorites. So one of my favorites was, I think this was the Rayner and Horn study, where they took semi-pro tennis players. They sleep-deprived them, and serving accuracy is decreased by 30-something percent. Some of them were given caffeine. Say, can you caffeinate this away? And it turns out that that recovered their performance by about a third, but that's it. And so even a stimulant isn't going to rescue this athletic performance. But My favorite study, one of my favorites was when Scott Kilgore, I think this is when he was still at Harvard, where it was a bunch of young people. Obviously, this is a military funded study. They were looking at decision making. It was the Iowa gambling task. And it was complex decision making in the moment for just people not familiar with the task. And people were divided into four groups after being kept up at night. They were either got a placebo, they got a, a mega dose of caffeine, they got a high dose of amphetamines where they got a full medical dose of a drug called modafinil, which is for people who don't know, it's it's used for narcolepsy and other conditions to keep people awake, but it's not a stimulant. And what they found was, not surprisingly, the people on the medicated groups, whether it was caffeine or or amphetamines, they were up, they were more awake, they were more alert, they had quicker reaction times, and physically they were performing better, but it did not rescue their decision-making ability they were still making bad decisions. They were just doing it faster because that's what happens when you stimulate a sleep-deprived person where sleep isn't unidimensional. And I love showing people the example of this study because it sort of hits them where it hurts, where it shows that, look, you can't get around this. Just because you're sped up, just because you feel more alert, doesn't mean you're making those good choices. And that could be the difference between winning and losing. That could be the difference of getting injured and not getting injured. That could be the difference of making an error or not making an error or being accurate versus being inaccurate. The brain is heavily involved in sport. Like no matter what sport you're playing, the brain is working and doing as much as the body is. And sleep is very much for the brain. And if you want your brain to be performing at the level that it can be, There's no substitute. You can't caffeinate it away.
0: Isn't it impressive how complex sleep is in the sense of how few simple risk mitigating compounds there are to get around it? It's so what I would think of as pluripotent, which is a fancy biological term, which means that it's such a jack of all trades, such a Swiss army knife that gets in there that there's very few things that are going to that you could just swallow that will cover all of the bases that sleep is covering and bring you out risk-free. And I think coming back to the idea of performance and decision-making and thinking, one of the tasks that you and I use in the sleep field, pioneered by some titans in the field, such as David Dinges, is a particular attentional concentration task where you're seeing stimulus on the screen, stimuli on the screen, and you're having to try to respond to those stimuli. And It's so reliable as an indicator of not just whether you've been sleep deprived or not, but also the dose of sleep deprivation that you've undergone. And what's striking is that when you're responding to these items, most people would say, well, when I'm sleep deprived, do you think I'm slower to respond? Yeah, I I think I would be. And that's true to a degree. But what's really impressive is not just the Errors where they are slow to respond or they miss a stimulus. So, in other words, they've omitted to respond, which is what we call an error of omission. It's an error of also commission, where they will actually just make a response when they shouldn't have made a response. So, rather than the absence of response, they've made a response, but that was an inappropriate response. And that's about response inhibition which is to say, when you are sleep deprived, you become more impulsive. And I don't know of any coach out there where you would say, when you get on the field or when you're playing this game, I just want you to not be thinking, not making smart decisions, just be irrational and be impulsive. That would be great (laughs) if you could do that. I've seen that time and time again, and it's the Da Vinci code for winning. And that's one of the things. The other thing that we've done a little work on and has been interesting in me reading the studies. Now, I'm sure you have thoughts on this too. When I was looking at the impact of a lack of sleep on, let's say, peak muscle performance or number of repetitions before failure or one rep maximum when you're trying to lift as much weight as possible, is that yes, a lack of sleep will reduce those. But I was surprised. I was predicting that it would have a bigger effect, that where you would see the overall performance decrement would be in those body measures. But then what they found in terms of an effect size that was even bigger was motivation, which happens in the brain. So I was struck so much by the fact that the performance was worse, their bodies weren't as capable. However, what I also realized, because they have so many motivational problems, was the idea that perhaps there is some Performance benefits still left on the table that their bodies may still have some performance capability to give if only their brain had the motivation to use what little was left when you're sleep deprived. And that struck me as something that I'd not been thinking about before. And we've done some work to show motivation just takes a nosedive like a dart. When you're sleep deprived, think about it, people listening. You just do I really even want to go and work out? Not so much. I just don't feel energy. I just got no motivation. Does that factor into some of your thinking and equation?
1: Right. And you draw an excellent picture of the complex relationship between sleepiness, fatigue, and motivation, where a lot of people will say that it's actually the fatigue that's leading me to not want to make good choices, where Actually, I would argue that you're correct that it's actually a cognitive process that's going on, not just a physical one or a physical emotional one. There's a cognitive issue. Scientifically, I like the term motivation. I worry that people see it as like a volitional, a choice sort of thing. Like, well, if you were old, if you only cared, you'd be more motivated. And I know you don't mean it that way, and I don't mean it that way. It's not a you don't care enough, it's that you just don't have. I'm trying to find out the right metaphor for this.
0: It's almost like the energetic willpower. I just, yes. I, I don't have the battery. I've gone on to low battery mode. And trust me, if I could, I would. I just can't do it.
1: Yeah, it's low voltage. I'm still chugging. The engine's giving it all it's got. It's just, there isn't enough in there. And I think people undervalue the role of sleep and recovery in that. And I think this is more than just athletes. This is why this is, this is such an interesting topic, because everything we're talking about is universal. Like everyone is struggling with making the best choices they can, whether they're an athlete or not. You know, you were talking about sleep having its fingers and everything. That's why I think about it as like foundational. Sleep is just foundational. It's foundational like food. There's no one pill that replaces your entire diet. It doesn't exist. Just like there's not one pill that replaces your sleep. It's absolutely foundational and touches everything in that way. And the role of the brain and the mind in physical performance is something that is really coming to recognition within kinesiology, sports medicine, and all of those fields. Michael, for all of your time here,
0: and for all that you've done in the past, and also all that you've done for me in the past, thank you so much. Take care, and bye for now.